the America's National Parks podcast is sponsored by L.L. Bean. This year, L.L. Bean is joining up with the National Park Foundation, the official nonprofit partner of the National Park Service, to help you find your happy place in an amazing system of more than 400 national parks, including historic and cultural sites, monuments, preserves, lakeshores, and seashores that dot the American landscape many of which you'll find just a short trip from home. L.L. Bean is proud to be an official partner of the National Park Foundation. Discover your perfect day in a park at findyourpark.com. Each spring, an abundance of winter-weary locals and tourists flock to our nation's capital hoping to see the blossoming beauty of the famed Japanese cherry trees. You may know that the original trees were a gift from Japan in 1912, symbolizing international friendship. But you may not know that they're also a testament to one woman's persistence and the value of never giving up on a dream. On this episode of America's National Parks, the National Cherry Blossom Festival in Washington, D.C., Here's Abigail Trebu. In 1885, 29-year-old Eliza Ruhama Skidmore returned to the United States following her first visit to Japan where her brother George worked for the U.S. Consular Service. While there, she developed a great appreciation for the Japanese culture, people, and the beauty of the Japanese flowering cherry trees. She brought back with her a desire to introduce the beauty of the Japanese cherry blossoms to the American people. Upon returning to Washington, D.C. and resuming her life as an author, travel writer, newspaper correspondent, and photographer, Skidmore began promoting her idea of planting flower trees in Potomac Park on land recently reclaimed from the Potomac River. As she explained in a 1928 newspaper article in the Washington Sunday Star, since they had to plant something in that great stretch of raw, reclaimed ground by the riverbank, since they had to hide those old dump heaps with something, they might as well plant the most beautiful thing in the world, the Japanese cherry tree. Over the next 24 years, she presented her idea to every superintendent of public buildings and grounds, but her pleas were met with little interest. One superintendent turned down her request, expressing concern that policemen would have to be in the park day and night when the cherries were ripe to keep boys from climbing the trees and breaking the branches. When she explained that the type of trees she was proposing produced only blossoms, not cherries, she recalled receiving the following response. What? No cherries? No cherries? Huh. What good is that sort of cherry tree? The trees, however, do produce a small, inedible, dark cherry, sometimes eaten by birds. 
Skidmore recalled that her requests were of no avail, no matter how fervent, long, or often repeated to successive indifferent superintendents of public buildings and grounds. During the later years of her efforts, Department of Agricultural Plant Explorer David Fairchild began experimenting with and advocating for the introduction of Japanese flowering cherry trees in the United States. Following the successful planting of several varieties on his personal property in Chevy Chase, Maryland, he began promoting the idea of planting Japanese flowering cherry trees along avenues in the nation's capital. His efforts included supplying cherry trees to children to plant in Washington, D.C. schoolyards on Arbor Day in 1908. On the day preceding the event, Skidmore talked with Fairchild about her dream of planting Japanese cherry trees on the newly reclaimed land of Potomac Park. Fairchild expressed enthusiasm for her idea and invited Skidmore to attend the lecture he would be presenting at the conclusion of the Arbor Day event. At this event, he publicly promoted the idea of planting cherry trees along the Speedway, a popular road in Potomac Park, in the area of present-day Independence Avenue. Both Skidmore and Fairchild began working on plans to acquire trees for the park, at the White House, First Lady Helen Taft was working on plans to beautify this area. Fairchild offered to import Japanese cherry trees for the project. Skidmore developed a plan to solicit annual subscriptions of $1 from travelers who had personally experienced the beauty of the trees. She hoped to then be able to donate 100 trees a year so that after 10 years, there would be a great showing in Potomac Park, a rosy tunnel of interlaced branches, a veritable mukajima along the river's bank. She then sent a note to First Lady Taft requesting her approval for the plan and assistance in acquiring the trees. At long last, Skidmore experienced success. Two days after sending her note, she received a positive response from the First Lady. Not only did Taft like the idea, she immediately made arrangements to acquire some cherry trees for Potomac Park. The First Lady had also spent time in Japan where she had experienced firsthand the beauty of the cherry blossoms. The day after Taft's letter was written, noted Japanese chemist Dr. Takamine Jokichi learned of the plan to acquire cherry trees for America's capital city. He was in Washington, D.C. at the time with New York's Japanese Consul General Kokuchi Mizuno. Takamine asked Mizuno to acquire whether Mrs. Taft would accept a gift of 2,000 trees for the city. The Consul General liked the idea and suggested donating the trees in the name of Tokyo. Takamine generously agreed and Mrs. Taft accepted the offer. The cherry trees were shipped across the ocean to Seattle and arrived in Washington, D.C. in 1910. A major setback occurred when U.S. Department of Agriculture inspectors discovered that the trees were diseased and infested with insects. Following thorough inspection, USDA officials advised that the trees be burned to prevent harm to native plants. 
Such an awkward situation was handled most graciously by Japanese officials. Not deterred, Tokyo Mayor Yukio Ozaki and other officials quickly made arrangements for a new gift of 3,020 trees. Twelve varieties of trees were prepared and carefully monitored to ensure that they were free of diseases and insects before being shipped to the United States. After arriving in Washington, D.C. in March of 1912, the trees were successfully planted along the Tidal Basin and in other areas of Potomac Park in the city. Fewer than 100 of the original trees survive today, among the nearly 4,000 trees growing in the West and East Potomac Parks, on the Washington Monument grounds, and in several other park locations. Today, these trees stand not only as a powerful symbol of friendship between nations, but as an inspiring reminder of the difference one person can make by faithfully pursuing a dream. The blooming of the cherry trees around the Tidal Basin in Washington, D.C. has come to symbolize the natural beauty of our nation's capital city. Each year, spring is announced by the explosion of life and color that surrounds the Tidal Basin in a sea of pale pink and white blossoms. Annually, this event is known as the Cherry Blossom Festival, and it has a rich tradition, particularly with our nation's first ladies. So when does it happen? Well, forecasting peak bloom is almost impossible more than 10 days in advance. The cherry tree's blossom development is dependent on weather conditions, which are inherently variable. National Park Service horticulturists monitor bud development and report the status of the blossoms, but the event is getting earlier and earlier each year. Here's Patrick Gonzalez, a National Park Service climate change scientist, to explain why. Here in Washington, D.C., weather station measurements since 1946 show a statistically significant temperature increase of 1.6 degrees Celsius per century, double the global rate. In flowering trees, heat breaks winter dormancy, so earlier cherry blooming is consistent with heating caused by climate change. Published research by the Smithsonian Institution shows a statistically significant advance of spring blooming of cherry trees in Washington, D.C. by seven days from 1970 to 1999. You know, a potential vulnerability of climate change is that it could create a mismatch in phenology. That is, a mismatch between when flowers bloom and when bees and butterflies and other pollinators mature and are ready to pollinate. Published scientific research shows that if we don't reduce our emissions from cars, power plants, and deforestation, additional warming could advance spring blooming by another week to month by the end of the 21st century. The National Park Service and their partner, the National Cherry Blossom Festival Organization, offer a wide variety of events and activities during the bloom 
including the Blossom Kite Festival, the Japanese Street Festival, Southwest Waterfront Fireworks, and more. There's even a Junior Ranger program. The event takes place around late March into early April of each year. You can even view the blossoms on a dedicated National Park Service webcam. The National Park Service operates a slew of sites in D.C., including the National Mall, the President's Park, which is the White House, war memorials, presidential effigies, and more. If you go, make sure to plan on taking public transportation. There are few places more difficult to park in than Washington, D.C. Luckily, the public transportation is affordable and efficient. Many people plan short weekend trips to the city, but there's enough to do to last a month. This episode of America's National Parks was hosted by me, Jason Epperson, and narrated by Abigail Trebu. If you enjoyed the show, we'd love a five-star review wherever you listen to podcasts. And don't forget to subscribe and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Just search National Park Podcast. You can also join our America's National Parks Facebook group. We'll link to all of our social media, as well as National Park Service resources, music credits, and more in the show notes at nationalparkpodcast.com. If you're interested in RV travel, give us a listen over at the RV Miles podcast. You can also follow Abigail and I as we travel the country in our converted school bus with our three boys at ourwanderingfamily.com. This land is your land. This land is my land. From California to the New York Island. From the Redwood Forest to the Gulf Stream waters. This land was made for you and me. Today's show was sponsored by L.L. Bean. Follow the hashtag BeAnOutsider and visit LLBean.com to find great gear for exploring the national parks. <laughs>